From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. This is a really powerful episode, and it's a hard episode, too. We talk about grief, and we talk about miscarriage, and we talk about what it means to accompany those who have experienced both, and why it's so important. Kathy Powell is currently the creative director, working with Becky Eldridge, LLC, Ignatian Ministries. But ever since the loss of her first child, Francis, through miscarriage, Kathy has dedicated a great deal of time and energy to walking with families who have had to lay their babies to rest all too soon. In this episode, we hear Kathy's story. We learn from her how to walk with others. And this is important because there's a good chance you know someone whose pregnancy has ended in a loss. Maybe you're that person. And if so, this episode is for you. St. Catherine of Sweden, whose feast day is March 24th, is the patron saint of miscarriage. Kathy tells us a little about St. Catherine and how her legacy helped in a moment of darkness. We end our episode in prayer. Kathy leads us through an examine for a day of crisis. Whether that day was last week or 10 years ago, whether the crisis was a miscarriage or something else, I encourage you to take this time to pray. Now, here's Kathy. Kathy Powell, welcome to AMDG. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So our, our topic today is, is kind of a heavy one. Uh, we're we're going to uh, kind of wade through grief in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we're you know, looking at grief writ large. We're at a moment in our world where so many of us are just struggling with so many different kinds of grief. You know, we're, we're just barely out of this pandemic. Uh, you know, we see war breaking out in Europe, you know, so many other things that are, are so heavy uh, for so many of us to, to look at and, and carry. I wonder, you know, in your work, in your experience, what are the different ways that, that people process grief and why, why is that important even to, even to do? Well, I think, you know, to be honest, so many people process their grief by avoiding it. Um, by burying it, by just pressing on, by putting a smile on it. Um, And unfortunately, you can't achieve your way out of grief. Um, Mm. You know, if you if I just smile enough, my heart won't ache, um, isn't terribly effective, and will drag you down eventually. So you know, in my experience, there's no right way to process your grief as long as I think the keys are two things as long as you acknowledge your grief and don't acknowledge it alone you know um with god therapist the partner trusted friend all of those um it really makes a large difference um and I think you know Often it's not that we consciously choose to ignore the grief, um, but I think grief often surprises us, uh, shows up in unexpected ways with a strength that might not be logically proportionate <laughs> in our heads. Um, you know, especially like you mentioned, war and, you know, um, things that you might feel more disconnected to, you know, maybe a death of a celebrity or things like that that um or even good things that happen 
but it's a, a loss, it's a change that there's still grief attached. And so I think um, acknowledging that uh, grief takes on different forms and isn't always or isn't often um, logical <laughs> um, and not acknowledging it in the, alone are really the keys to kind of um, to not letting it consume you. Yeah, I um, two things come to mind, but the, the first one is you said death of a celebrity. And I think that's such a good example because it's something that I think sometimes we say like, oh, why do I feel I don't know that person? You know, I, I knew that person as from a distance and yet it does, uh, you know, it can affect us. Um, and the other sure. thing that I, I love your thoughts on, too, is, you know, I think so many of us say, hey, I don't have time to grieve. And, and mm -hmm. it might be right. We might be in survival mode, you know, in, in one way or another. Um, and then it builds up. How how have you seen or, or what are ways that you suggest to people to make to carve out that time? Like when when is the time to grieve? Yeah, that's a really hard one, because generally when you're grieving, it's because something big has happened and it's, you know, it doesn't happen alone. There's lots of other things um, going on, often logistics and, you know, um, things that you have to deal with at the same time. And so I really think it's um, just continuing to acknowledge it, even in small ways, um, to give yourself grace that uh, just stating like, well, yeah, I'm stressed out because there's a lot going on, <laughs> like, and I'm dealing with this grief and, you know, and that it doesn't have to be something that you set aside to be like, these two weeks are my grieving weeks, you know, <laughs> because that's, yeah. not how, that's not generally how life works. But, um, but even, you know, giving yourself, you know, um, time in prayer, scheduled time with a spiritual director or with a therapist or with a good friend of, you know, this is when I'm going to talk about that this has happened and that I'm going to sit and be real and, you know, cry and lament and be angry and whatever emotions come out. Um, but even in those giving yourself small pockets of, um, of scheduled time to acknowledge and not be alone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And I like that small, those kind of like little tiny, tiny pockets, tiny steps. You know, I, I, I'm always, I'm so surprised actually my, my, both my grandmother's passed away. It's been almost a year and a half now. Mm. And I'm still surprised by, you know, moments of, of grief and like, Oh, why am I sad now? Like what happened? But, but it, you know, it's, I think you're allowed to be surprised by grief and sometimes, and, and you got to kind of right sink into those moments, right? Well, grief is, um, rather obnoxious because it is not <laughs> linear, right? Like it doesn't, oh. it, like you feel like you have this myth in your head, or at least I certainly did that. Oh, it'll just get easier every day. And that's not really true because grief is much more of a roller coaster. And like what you speak about, um, I would call a grief burst hmm. where it's those little things where, um, you know, grief is much more like a circle, right? Like you come right back around, you're like, oh, I'm here again. Oh, like, yeah, right. And um, it does, it surprises you and, um, and it attaches to things that you don't uh, expect. And it's not always convenient, or it's rarely convenient, to be honest. Um, and I think it's those continuing to give yourself grace that that's going to happen. And, um, you know, there's times when like there'll be a grief burst and it's not at an appropriate time for me 
to take it at that time, right? To like, I can't stop and just cry in the middle of a meeting or whatever that is. Um, but I can acknowledge it at the end of the day. I can be like, hey, I need to meet you, you know, for dessert tonight or like come to my house or like, I got to talk through this because something happened and it caught me off guard. Um, or I know I have to bring it to prayer specifically to address like, oh, this is coming up again. Because as much as I want it to be, grief is not a line. It's not, it doesn't evenly, you know, get better and easier each day, um, which I think again, is really obnoxious. It would be much easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's such an important point you make that uh, grief isn't linear and that, you know, we, we kind of tell ourselves, oh, time heals all wounds. But, and yet, um, you know, like th whatever we're grieving, we're grieving probably because it was very important to us. And, um, and, and, you know, we don't want to think of time as like the, you know, the, the eraser on a whiteboard, just kind of like, oh, it's gone now. We just needed enough, enough of it. Um, but, but more of, of, yeah, we need to, you know, we enter into that thing, you know, into that, those moments. Um, I want to, so we've, I think we've, I want, I want to get specific and, and, and you've, uh, you've made it really a part of your work, um, to speak out about and to really accompany those, um, who have experienced a really particular kind of grief and that, that is, um, in miscarriages. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about kind of where your own journey, uh, in this work began. Yeah, Absolutely. So on October 4th of 2010, I was eight weeks pregnant and my husband, Kent and I, at uh, that time we had been married for five years, um, were thrilled to be going to see the ultrasound. It was our first child. Um, you know, we were just really overjoyed. Um, and when I made the appointment, I had smiled because October 4th is the, um, Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. And at the time I was doing a lot of work with um, like a Catholic Earth Day kind of movement and had marked that day, you know, St. Francis is known for um, his love and care of creation and animals. And I was like, oh, why not babies? Like, perfect. Like what a great patron for this little baby. And so I had been praying to St. Francis to watch over this child. And so the appointment comes. My husband and I go, we see the ultrasound, we hear the heartbeat, everything is perfect. And, you know, and as we're leaving, I go to make the follow-up appointment and the woman looks at the calendar and she's like, okay, four weeks from now is November 1st. And so, you know, in my Catholicness, I smile again because November 1st is All Saints Day. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I had made a joke to my husband that, like, uh, God saw us, St. Francis, and raised us all the saints. <laughs> and so I was, um, you know, okay, continuing to pray to St. Pray to Francis. Um, you know, the next four weeks go by. Everything is good. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I go to the appointment by myself. The, um, uh, my care provider, a midwife, you know, uses the Doppler, which is a small um, machine to check heartbeat where they just like slide on the belly. And, um, and, uh, and she was like shaking it. And she was like, Ugh. she's like, this one is always giving me problems. And she's like, here, let's just hop into the big ultrasound. And, you know, um, looking back in the day, that was such an act of compassion for her for her fact that uh, when she couldn't find the heartbeat, 
Um, and so we go to the big ultrasound room and I'm excited because I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a bonus ultrasound. And, um, and the ultrasound tech goes, okay, well, the baby is measuring uh, small, like measuring um, eight weeks, three days. And so I was like, oh, that doesn't seem good. And she then said, and there's no heartbeat. And I was like, oh, I know that's not good. <laughs> um, okay. Um, and so, you know, from that um, moment of, okay, um, that means our baby has died. And, um, and now what? Now what happens? And so, you know, in my, in the way that I've always handled other things is you turn to hard work, you turn to, okay, how do I do this right? And so I went looking for like, how do I grieve, <laughs> right? Like, what, what do I do now? And I was like, oh, I should join a support group. Um, you know, we should name the baby, which we named Francis in honor of St. Francis. Mm -hmm. Um. And so, you know, all these like, okay, these are the things I'm supposed to be doing. This is, um, this is how I, this is how I get through this. And even in that, it really was a lot of going through the motions and took really a long time before I truly acknowledged and named the losses. You know, it's not just the loss of a child, it's not just um, the end of a pregnancy, but it's no baby shower. It's no crib. It's no one calling me mom. Right. Like, so there's so much more in like the secondary losses of what did this actually mean? And what does it mean in my marriage? What does it mean in, you know, my daily life? Like, what does it mean now going forward? What's it mean for the future? You know, why did this happen? Is it going to happen again? Um, and I think what really made it harder was that finding people to acknowledge my grief with me was much harder than I expected. I think so many people um, rush to minimize it or try to solve it. Like, you're young, you know, you'll have another child. This is just God's plan, you know, just trust in God. It'll all be fine. Don't worry about it. And, you know, that was not helpful. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> um, not. I was worried about it because, you know, like, uh, well, thanks. Um, and so I think um, what has now, you know, in the 10 plus years, since this happened, what has become my work is giving people um, a place and a space to acknowledge their grief, that I can be there with them in this and speak of their baby and, um, and not, you know, and not minimize that, um, you know, and then I went, um, went on to miscarry a second child. 
and in a um, a very different way this time um, of, of a different type of trauma where this time I was cramping and bleeding and I knew really um, instantly that this, you know, was also ending in death of this child. And I think at that point, I was like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do this now. Like, I don't have to tell anyone. We don't have to talk about it. It took us much longer to name that child um, because it just felt, it just felt like too much. I was like, I already did this right. right. <laughs> I already did this. Like, this has been done. Um, you know, we're here again. Um, and so we named that baby Claire in honor of St. Clair because St. Clair and St. Francis were friends in Assisi. And so it just um, made sense to me <laughs> that this um, that this baby is uh, is named Claire and went on to have um, live children as well. But I think um, the biggest noticing was how it's not um, – how it just wasn't talked about and there weren't spaces that it felt okay to talk about. Um, and that that was really harmful for me, especially in faith spaces that there, um, that I felt like my baby was being forgotten or wasn't honored or wasn't given the dignity that um, I felt it should be. And, um, and so that's really, has been, you know, my work and my focus is um, just being okay with being with people in that. Yeah. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for for sharing the story. I think it's, I mean, it's so powerful. And I think one of the one of the many things I take take from it is, um, you know, how how tempting it is to tell people uh, that what they grieve isn't worth grieving, and how what a mistake that is. Uh, and, and as you say, not to honor the you know, the person, the dignity, um, or even to tell ourselves that, you know, we, we feel something, but it must not be grief because this isn't something uh, that we should grieve. And that's, uh, you know, such a, you know, kind of a, a, a closing down of a part of ourselves, you know, if we're, if we're called to right, care for the whole person, care personalis, that, that we have to totally hold our own grief and, and hold the grief of others. I, I know you've written about and, and talked about, um, and even we heard some of it in your story, the importance of, of ritual, um, you know, and, and and I wonder if, uh, you know, you said that you, you felt like you were going through the motions. Um, and yet I wonder if going through the motions is better than not going through any motions at all. And and then, of course, the, the ritual of, of uh, you know, you've named it, naming the baby and, and going to these different groups. And um, can you talk a little bit more about about that, about that, the importance of, of, of the ritual to all of uh, kind of the healing of, of, of these kinds of moments or? For sure. I think that's where, you know, um, my Catholic faith really um, kind of helped with that because that's, you know, as Catholics, we're good with that. <laughs> Ritual <laughs> comes naturally to us, right? So, um, you know, the idea of I have a special candle that I light um, that is, you know, my baby's candle. Um, the naming the baby is incredibly important you know um 
remembering on due dates on um on no heartbeat day um on all saints and all souls day you know um that all souls day became incredibly comforting to me because um you know with being the day that followed all saints day that was the day that um it was decided i would have the dnc which is the procedure that removes um the fetal remains uh after the baby has died and so um i went into all saints day so excited and then you know was the next morning coming in for the the dnc and um and it was all souls day and it struck me that the universal church was mourning with me you know mm-hmm. and i feel like lent right now lent is always kind of a comforting time when you're dealing in grief because well everyone's kind of dealing with grief <laughs> like right like this is the time where you're supposed to be more solemn and um and you know um uh, more intentional. And so I think the, um, any way that you can acknowledge your grief is, um, is worthy and valid and right. And so if that's, you know, having a memorial service, having a, um, you know, a formal baby naming when, you know, when you lay remains to rest of, you know, um, acknowledging that this baby um was a baby <laughs> you know is is um is my baby and so i think that it's um that there's a lot of again like little things you can do that you know it could be something like an actual funeral memorial service um but even like the lighting of a candle, the, um, you know, having a, um, you know, a blanket with their, um, the monogram on it, or, you know, like ways that, you know, acknowledge and remind and honor that even if it was a short life and gone much too soon, um, there was life. Yeah, no, I think it's beautiful. Um, I, I wonder too, you, you've, you've, you've looked at this through the lens of Ignatian spirituality as well. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I mean, you've, you've written about how common, you know, miscarriages are, are, are very, I think one in four, is that the right? Yes. So very they, common. I think one in four pregnancies end in a loss. So I wonder, I mean, it's, it's very possible that, uh, our listeners are, the, those you know have have experienced miscarriages or know people have experienced miscarriages what what from ignatian spirituality what tools uh would you offer to to our listeners um kind of in their own grief or their own accompaniment of those in grief right well i think um to the accompaniment piece and i guess for the person as well is um prayer is incredibly important you know that it, it's a spiritual work of mercy to pray for the living and the dead. So as someone who's accompanying someone who um, who is dealing with this specific type of loss, uh, prayer is 
an incredibly valuable thing. And, you know, more than just uh, sending a praying hands emoji, but really, um, you know, that's how we do now, um, you know, really, you know, maybe a text of something, you know, listen, know that if it's hard for you to pray right now, it's okay. I got you. I'm praying for you every day. Hmm. And the idea that not just praying for like lifting the person up, but praying, you know, in their place with them shoulder to shoulder, um, you know, adding them to your ongoing, whatever your normal prayer practices and letting them know, you know, maybe a few weeks later, you know, if you're sending a message of like, hey, you know, ever since your baby died, every time I go to daily mass, I light a candle. Here's a picture of the candle. Or, you know, we've added you to our um, night prayers when I pray with my kids and we, you know, pray for um, your baby to watch over us every night. And now my, you know, daughter does it on her own. Um, you know, like those, those little things of God in all things and reminding people that there's others who are, um, praying for them and thinking of them, you know, um, for the people in the throes of grief, prayer can be complicated, right? There's a lot of, um, it can be hard, just like it can be hard to find time to grieve. It's hard to dedicate time when, you know, when you're in the throes of grief to talking to God. And then what are you saying? And, um, you know, for me personally, I found it hard to go to mass for a while. Um, and part of it was because I had worked at the church and I didn't want to see people. Hmm. Um, I didn't want to have to like give small talk while I was there. and. I wasn't confident that I could sit through a mass without crying hysterically. And I felt like too many people knew me and that would cause a scene. And, um, and so for quite a few weeks, my husband would leave and go to mass and I would sit on the couch in the quiet and be like, okay, God, I couldn't be at mass today, but this is my time. Like I'm going to sit here with you and um, and that's what I can do. And, um, you know, and tools like, you know, at the time I was working as a uh, marketing director at a Jesuit retreat center. And so, you know, I was very immersed in Ignatian spirituality in, you know, I was, um, praying with the examine every day. And so what I found with that, you know, the simple prayer tool of the examine that, Ignatius invites us and, you know, to look over our past day uh, was that I was doing a modified version of where in the throes of my grief, I could ask God to look with me and be with me. And I could look back and see what I was um, grateful for and for where God was in my day. And then I stopped there that I skipped what, um, you know, where I felt far from God or where, um, where my uh, missteps were because I just couldn't, 
because that just caused me to spiral and feel like it was my fault. Hmm. Like there was my missteps were what caused this. And they, they just weren't and aren't. And so through that gift of the exam and giving myself permission to pray it in the way that worked for me at the time really allowed me to have such greater awareness of God is with me. I am not alone. Every day, even in really hard days, I can see because I took time to pause and look for it. Like here is, here are the people God is putting in my life. Here is where I'm feeling close to God, even when you know, I feel like I just cried all day. Like, you know, um, and so I think that taking time to remind myself that God is in all things, in my grief, with me, in my suffering, that I am not alone. Not only is God with me, I have, you know, I have the Holy Spirit, but I have all these people that um, have been put on in my path, either, you know, for a long time or just for that specific day, just for this moment of my grief. And that Ignatian spirituality is really what um, allowed me to see that. And, you know, it doesn't solve everything, but that feeling of truly bone deep knowing I'm not in this alone um, is one of the most healing, helpful things I feel like in every single situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that's, uh, it's really powerful. And I, I think it also speaks to um, um, like, again, the exam and being very, uh, it, it's for you, right? It's not, a, it's not a prayer that, uh, you have to check the boxes. It's a prayer of, um, you know, God wants to draw near however you need in that moment. And I think it's really beautiful. And, and for listeners, just, just to put a bookmark, we're going to, um, do a, a very, uh, special kind of examine at the end of this episode. So, so stay tuned, uh, for that. Um, I wonder, Kathy, so you've talked a lot about the importance of community and the importance of people kind of in your life, uh, in, in moments like this. Um, I, I imagine there are a lot of uh, kind of wrong ways to go about accompanying a person uh, experiencing uh, miscarriage in particular, but, but any kind of grief kind of in general. Um, I wonder if you have any insights that you could share for folks um, that, again, want to want to, you know, be a good, a good, per, a good person to accompany, um, but but may not know how or may may be concerned that they're going to, you know, step in the wrong direction. And so instead of, uh, you know, reaching out, do nothing at all. What would you what would you say? What kind of advice would you offer? Well, I think that's an important um, point to start with is, you know, that if you don't know what to do, that you do nothing at all is. Um, is. Uh, not the right path because what it ends up feeling like is, um, you know, you can't catch grief. Don't avoid them. (laughs) (laughs) That from the person who's grieving, it feels like I'm a piranha. Everyone ran away. Like people look, saw me at a, a, in a room and turned the other direction, uh, which really happened and it hurts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, and so it's, I think the key to me is, 
before you say or do anything, think through, does this try to solve, minimize, or just push through the situation? If you feel like it does any of those, it's the wrong thing to do. So all mm. of these comments of, you know, these things happen or like, oh, it's super common. It happened to all these people I know and they're fine. Um, or, you know, it's probably for the best. There was probably something wrong with that baby anyway. Um, you'll have another baby. At least, you know, you can get pregnant. Um, you know, at least it happened early. Just be strong. You know, um, it'll just be fine. Um, you know, and not just being dismissive, but, and like not helpful. Some of those things can be really harmful, especially if you start involving faith, you know, everything happens for a reason, just be strong, trust in God. Um, you know, you'll get through this. It'll be fine. Um, and you know, life moves on, just keep going. Um, and really, uh, none of those things are helpful, but what the opposite is, or the, you know, the more desirable action is to really just um, be present. You know, we already talked about how prayer can be helpful, praying for the person, but really anything that can sit in their grief with them, that doesn't ask them for anything, doesn't answer anything for them, but instead just lets them know that you are there with them. You know, um, instead of asking, how can I help? Or let me know if you need anything, um, just reaching out. You know, we're in the uh, time right now where anything can be delivered to anyone in 24 hours. Um, I can get most things to someone in like two hours, right? <laughs> I'm going to Instacart you something. Um, so, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, uh, sending a, a box of tea, um, you know, as like, hey, listen, I know this sucks and um, I don't have answers, but I brought coffee and these cute muffins, um, mm. you know, like that, that there's not... Um, there's not a way to solve it, but the most helpful thing is being there with them in it. And so, you know, um, the, you know, hey, I'd love if we could have um, have lunch one day this week, maybe Thursday or Friday. Let me know if that works for you. And know that if at any time you want to cancel, you don't feel up to coming, like, just don't come. Like, just shoot me a text and it'll be canceled. No problem. You know, giving people um, grace to, you know, if they don't feel up to it or they don't want to talk about it, that that is totally fine. But not using that as an excuse to then never reach out to them. Um, you know, be like, I'm sure they need their space. Well, yes, but let them decide that, right? <laughs> um, right. And so the... Um, you know, the, the ways of being present, especially now, you know, um, something like, uh, well, in the actual, um, you know, specific uh, examples of if you know someone is actively miscarrying 
at their house. Like they are passing the remains at their home. Um, that's happening <laughs> right now. Uh, cause oftentimes now, um, there's medicines you can take that, that can happen at home. And so, you know, it's happening. Um, you know, that's an opportunity where, uh, you send them a meal where you, um, you know, drop off a fancy fair trade chocolate bar in their mailbox where you can send, um, you know, the woman or their spouse, like a, um, you know, iTunes gift card, an audible, you know, gift certificate, like things to, um, so they can, you know, listen to something new and they can be distracted and they can, you know, um, pick out something new to watch or, you know, um, those kind of things that are available to us now that, um, you know, because it's, you don't have to be right next to the person anymore that are just ways that can continue to remind someone that they're not alone. Yeah, no, those are, those are great suggestions um, and good things to, to think about. And I, and I think that the, the goal of how can I sit in this grief with the other person um, being kind of first and foremost in our minds uh, is a really helpful kind of North star to, to keep, keep it with us. Um, I, I, you, uh, you introduced me to, I know nothing about St. Catherine of Sweden, um, who is, uh, whose feast day is March 24th. So coming up, um, and she's the patron saint of, of miscarriage. Can you tell us a little bit about her and, and, and why she's important? Yeah, absolutely. So St. Catherine of Sweden was a Swedish nobility, lived in the 1300s. Um, her dad was a Lord. Her mom is now known as St. Bridget of Sweden. Um, her husband was also a lord. Um, you know, she really followed in her mom's footsteps of working with the poor, of counseling women, women who were sick during their pregnancy or had suffered the loss of a child. And when her mom died, she took to leading the convent and order, the Brigitines that her mom had founded. And, you know, Catherine was really a known healer, um, you know, even bringing a man who had died back to life. And I've always really, um, you know, felt uh, comforted by her and the way that she was someone who sat with people in their grief. Um, and that, as we just said, you know, is, um, is always what I found I, I need, right, is someone to um, to be there with me. And so I found St. Catherine um, to, be, uh, to be a great um, person to lean on for that. And, you know, one of my um, little other favorite things about her is that, um, you know, after her mom died, she was working for um, actually the cause of sainthood for her mom. Um, and she lived in Rome for... A period of years and she became close friends with saint catherine of siena mm. and it always just makes me laugh because you know i'm a kathy now i'm a kathleen not a catherine but in my head this is how this went down when they met in rome of like hi my name is katerina oh my name is also katerina like oh are you oh wait you're Kath, uh katerina with a k because swedish it was spelled then with a K, even though we generally remember her now as Catherine with a C. Um, and, you know, and um, Catherine of Siena was Katerina with a C. Um, anyway, that's always 
makes me smile. I'm like, she's a real person. She was a real person. She has real friends. She had a mom. She had, you know, that, um, that in her, her life and her work was being present to people, was caring for people through presence, through truly, um, accompanying and being with and, um, you know, being hospitable, the Bridgerton order. Um, now, uh, I was reading that many of the, the houses, um, kept, uh, brought in money through being bed and breakfasts. Oh. Um, and so I was like, what a beautiful thing of hospitality and, you know, that continuing just to serve and to, in in that beautiful way of sitting with people and so saint catherine is the patron saint of miscarriage and um of avoiding miscarriage and uh, it's phrased a bunch of different ways but um is really the one that the church has named to invite people in this specific grief to turn to Nice. I, I think the more that we see saints as like real people, you know, as you're describing, like the the realness of a person, I think the uh, the more uh, the more helpful they are in our prayer, certainly. But also, um, the more we can kind of see ourselves living into those uh, into those lives, those holy lives. Um, so you've written uh, an examine for a day of crisis, and um, and certainly, you know, uh, the, the days you've described in your own story are are um, days of crisis. But I think also um, this examine uh, kind of can be applied to any number of things in any number of people's lives. Um, so I, I invite you to, uh, to kind of pray, pray that for us now. And, and I invite listeners to, um, uh, you know, pray, pray it now, but also to, to keep this on hand uh, for moments in their lives or in the lives of, of friends or family members that, uh, that might need this kind of examine. So I'll turn it over to you, Kathy. In this examine, you know, we use this tool that St. Ignatius gave us of these simple five steps to look over a day. But for this, I want us to invite you to look back at a 24-hour period in which a personal crisis occurred. You know, maybe that's news of a diagnosis, a death, any happening or event that has split time that there is now a definite before and an after and we pause to take a breath because you know this thing has happened and we want to make sense of it but right now I simply invite you to be reminded that even in these moments that knock us down, we are not alone. You are not alone. We ask now for God's presence. Oh, Holy Spirit, be in this broken place with me. Help me to see these 24 hours through your loving, compassionate eyes to see it all as you see it. Help me to see the smaller details, 
that are so often overshadowed when I recall this difficult day. We look now upon this day with God's eyes, starting from the beginning of the day, maybe even hour by hour, looking with gratitude. Name the gifts of the day. For what are you thankful? For whom are you thankful? Take the time now to thank God. In looking at this day, I invite you now to notice where you felt the presence of God. Where did you feel an increase of faith, of hope, and love, even in the midst of tragedy? We again look back at this day. Notice now, where did you feel distant from God? Where did you feel a decrease of faith, of hope, and love? As we carry on now away from those specific 24 hours, right now in this present moment, what grace do you need? Bring that, bring all that has arisen as you reviewed this day and the awareness of what you need right now. Bring that to God now. As we bring this prayer to a close now, in this, I have a, 
abbreviated guided prayer, I invite you to go to spend time at whatever step needed your attention more. And whenever you feel your prayer come to a close, to close with an Our Father in that simple prayer that we were taught to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day thy daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Kathy, thank you so much for leading us through that prayer and for joining us today and for sharing your story. Thank you. It was a pleasure. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. and occasionally in my basement. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at Jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocations promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>